This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. I've got another hour of old-time radio crime for you this week, beginning with The Adventures of Sam Spade. We'll hear the Adam Fig caper from October 5th, 1947. After that, it's Unit 99 and Possible Market Burglary, their episode from November 15th, 1957. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Oh, Sam, I got it. Got what, my pet? A bank book, Sam. Well, you must advertise in the lost and found right away, Effie, and find the owner. There might be sickness in the family. Oh, but it's your bank book, Sam. What? Uh-huh, it has your name on it. Samuel Spade, account number four. It's a forgery. Somebody's trying to pin something on me. Lock it up and don't touch it until I get there. Oh, all right. Did you make a lot of money on this one, too? Got the check right in my pocket, 500 bucks. Oh, Sam, we're making more money than a movie star. Well, almost. And all honestly, too. <laughs> 600 last week and 500 this week. Yeah, how about that? And life gives a three-page spread to I Spy Molten. But uh, we mustn't let it turn our heads, Effie. No. We gotta stay in there pitching. I'll be right down to pitch my report on the Adam Fig caper. <laughs> Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. You've heard the saying, you never know until you try. Well, you'll never know how handsome your hair can look until you try Wild Root Cream Oil. See for yourself how neatly and naturally Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair. Note how effectively it relieves annoying dryness and removes loose, ugly dandruff. You can get Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic in either the big economy-sized bottle or the handy tube. Or you can ask your barber to use it on your hair. But by all means, try it. Don't delay. Get it today. Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Well, we got to watch these expenses, Effie. You know, there's always something. Yes, but this will be saving. It saves confusion. It saves fretting. Mm-hmm. Now, this gadget here, what is it? It's a mineral robot. <coughs> a what about? It's for busy men like yourself, Sam, so you don't have to burden your mind with petty details. You see, it has this dial on it, yeah. right here. And you drop these little cards in this slot. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about that. That's for me to take care of. Oh, good. Then, when you come into the office, and supposing you have an appointment with Mr. Jones at 2 o'clock, and you forgot about it. You just dial 2 o'clock, and the little card pops out. And it says, Mr. Jones on it. How do I remember to dial 2 o'clock? Oh. Well, maybe it's in the instruction book. But anyway, now go ahead, Sam, please. The card's right in there. Now, dial 2 o'clock. Go on, Sam. Uh, let's see. Uh... Just like a telephone, Sam. Uh-huh. Now what do I do? Well, give it time, Sam. It's thinking. 
Must have forgotten. Uh, Jones, Mr. Jones. Effie, do you think it's dead? Sam, I don't understand it. It was working perfectly. Well, I'll take it straight back first thing in the morning. You'll have to. It'll never find the way itself. <laughs> you got your book, sweetheart? Yes, Sam, I... <laughs> I don't understand. It was working perfectly. Well, that's all right, ago. honey. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Date, October 5, 1947, to Hillary Exxon Esquire from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Oh, Jim, oh honey, it's only a memo robot. <laughs> Subject, the Adam Fig Caper. Dear Mr. Exxon, October 2nd in San Francisco was one of those days that you see blown off the calendar by a gust of wind in the movies to denote the time is passing. It was a day for scraping off the minutes with a fingernail file and wondering whether the display ad I'd paid for in the classified section of the phone book wasn't just a waste of money. It certainly wasn't the day I'd expect a leprechaun to walk into my office. He uh, said his name was Adam Fig. He said he was the butler at Exxon Manor in Los Nidos. The limousine, Mr. Spade, is waiting to take you away. We mustn't keep them waiting, must we? Of course we mustn't. Uh, who mustn't we? Why, Mr. Hillary, of course, sir. Oh, Mr. Hillary. And old Mr. Exxon. Mm. The old gentleman is very ill, sir. Uh, Dr. Feige's office is down the hall. Turn to your right, second door. Well, I assure you, sir, that Mr. Exxon has the best of medical care. Your duty will be simple, to prevent his death. Uh, do I donate blood or just frighten away the evil spirits? Oh, it isn't quite that, sir. Someone is trying to kill Mr. Exxon. He's a very sick man, and I'm sure he'd prefer dying from natural causes. Uh-huh. I get $25 a day in expenses. Uh, here is an ample amount in advance, sir. But you should know, sir, that the old man is a nasty, cantankerous, villainous, crooked, insidious... $500? Please, Fig, you're talking about the man I love. Los Nidos was at least an overnight caper, so on my way out, my lovely and charming secretary, Miss Perrine, handed me a brown paper bag which contained A, one pair of socks, darned, B, one shirt, ironed, and C the apple which she always polishes for me the night before. We arrived at your large, southern-style mansion two hours later. Fig! Oh, Fig, where the devil have you been? the city, sir. I can't find the keys to the liquor closet. Where are all the maids? What happened to that cook we hired yesterday? Who is this man, and why is he wearing that necktie? This is Mr. Spade, sir, the detective. Oh? Oh, uh, I'm Hillary Exxon. Come in, come in, please. Go on upstairs, Fig. See what that girl is doing to my father. I don't believe she's a nurse at all. Very good, sir. In here, Mr. Spade. Pardon the condition of the house. The old man has been firing the servants again. Your father, you mean? Yes, yes. Every time he gets shot at, he fires all the servants. He gets shot at pretty often? About once a year. In the fall. Uh, you always hire a detective? Uh, no. Oh, dear. I'm not keeping you up, am I? No, no, excuse me, please. It's, it's much worse this time. I can't get any sleep. Guns going off in the middle of the night. The whole household disturbed. When and where was he last shot at? Yesterday morning at about half past one. I dug the bullet out of the woodwork myself, a thirty-eight caliber, embedded in the door frame that leads to Miss Kaywood's room. Oh, oh that, uh, that's his nurse. Was she with him at the time? No. No, Dad sleeps like a baby, full of sedatives, she sees to that. Shot come from outside? Yes, yes, but we found nobody on the grounds. No traces of anybody. I don't know whether Dad knows who shot at him or not. He's such a closed mouth, old devil. You don't uh, care very much for your father, do you? To be frank, Mr. Spade, if hating weren't such an effort, I would despise him. He is without a doubt... Well, listen, listen. Get down! 
there, there, that's just a sample. Well, come on, come on, let's see what's eating him now. Get out! Mr. Exxon, I can't stand another minute yelling, screaming, throwing things at You I must have done something to set him off. But I didn't, I tell you, oh. I didn't. This is Mr. Spade, Miss Kaywood. Oh, a detective. Oh. Will it make you happier to know that I'm a private detective, uh, Miss Kaywood? Well, Mr. Spade, I only hope you can prevent a murder. If there's any way at all that I can help, I... Thanks, I'll uh, see you downstairs after I've talked to the old man. You'd better go in alone, Spade. Oh, Miss Kaywood, <clears throat> do you have a throat spray downstairs? I seem to be congested. ammunition. Who are you? If you're a total stranger, come on in. Well, don't be afraid, son. Come on over where I can look at you. Uh, it's uh, hard to keep my eyes open. Oh, no, I mustn't do that. I mustn't do that. Oh, so you're the detective, eh? That's right, Pop. If you want to take a little nap or something, I'll come back later. Uh, oh, 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 what did I say just now? Come back later? No, 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 no. There's no reason for you to come back later. I'll say everything I have to say right now. The shot woke me. I didn't see anything. I don't know anything. I've got a million enemies. I can't remember the names of any of them. Why don't you try to remember? I could have them checked. You're wasting your time, Sonny. In my day, I've wiped out a hundred men, and I'll outlive anybody who's gunning for me now. You must be proud of your past, huh? Proud? Uh, Sonny... A past like mine is the finest thing an old man can have. I've swindled my partners and betrayed my friends. I've turned state's evidence just <coughs> to see my associate get sent up for 20 years. And they say my wife died under peculiar circumstances and I got rich off her insurance. Now I'm done talking. <coughs> uh, oh, do me a favor, son, please. I've got to get a half hour, 20 minutes sleep alone. You'll keep them out, everybody. Please, will you? Please. Sure, sure, Pop. Uh, go ahead, go on, sleep. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's it. He closed his eyes, rolled over, and fell into a heavy sleep. I stood there a moment, looking down at the frail, wasted old body. Then I cased the room. In digging the bullet out of the door, Hillary had done a good job of ruining any chance there might have been of proving the direction it had come from. I strolled out on the balcony. It was a pretty night. I lit a cigarette and took it in. Then I heard a door open and close softly behind me. Nurse Kaywood was at your father's bedside. She was filling a hypodermic from a small vial of bluish liquid. He didn't awaken when she jabbed it into his arm. Then she saw me standing in the doorway. She hastily dropped the medicine vial into her uniform pocket and came around the bed to meet me. Oh, Mr. Spade, oh, thank heaven. Why, why, when I saw you standing there in the half-night, I thought you might be... Thought I was who? Why, the man who fired the shot. It was a man? Well, I don't know. I I didn't see it happened. I just assumed that... You shouldn't have done it. I warned you, Eleanor. Oh, uh, we're we're disturbing him. Let's talk outside. Okay. Oh. Good to breathe something besides sick room air. I thought you got used to things like that in your profession. Why are you so unfriendly, Mr. Spade? Nurses are human, aren't detectives? Try me, sweetheart. Oh, I know what you're thinking of me. But after a week in this horrible house, that that poor old man, he's frightened. He's really frightened. What of? 
by, by the shots. 38 caliber or hypodermic? Surely you don't think that I... He's supposed to be under sedatives. The, the doctor's orders. Sorry, sweetheart. It's my job to suspect everybody. Can't you forget your job, even for a moment? Sure. Sure, if you don't mind the fact that I know you're a liar, that I'd make book you didn't come here primarily as a nurse, and what's worse, your act's not even convincing. Oh. Is it that bad, Sam? Yeah. Almost bad enough to be good. Come here. Oh, I hate you. It was a very satisfactory love scene for both of us. For reasons of her own, Barbara wanted to keep me out of that sick room for a while, and she did. For reasons of my own, I wanted to get that medicine file out of her uniform pocket, and I did. Then, as suddenly as we had fallen into love, we fell out again. After she'd gone to her room, I went back to my sentry duty around the house. Under a light on the front veranda, I examined the bottle from which Barbara had taken the injection for your father. It was labeled sodium thanatol and had been dispensed by a firm called Ibis Chemicals Limited in Cairo, Egypt. A scream filled the house, high and frenzied. I started running toward Barbara Kaywood's room. I slammed the terrace door open and found the light switch. Barbara was sitting upright in the center of a bed. Her face jerked up so abruptly that it seemed her neck had snapped. She clutched both hands to her chest and fell face down among the bedclothes, staining them with her blood. I don't know whether I went through, over, or around the screen that stood between her room and the old man's. I circled Exxon's bed. He lay on the floor on his side facing the window. I went outside. A 38 automatic lay on the ground a few yards away from the building. I put that into my pocket and listened. No shadows moving. Nothing. Then he was on me before I could be sure he wasn't a medium-sized tree. Break your back. Be the light. The warm stuff on my cheek might have been the thing's blood or mine. It gathered me up and bent me back and tore at my throat. (laughs) Then I remembered that hands are stronger than fingers. I started with his thumbs. (laughs) He lay there for a moment. Then his huge body began to twitch. He was holding his fingers and sobbing like a baby. I pulled him up to his feet and poked him in the back with the flat of my hand. I followed him through an opening in the hedges and down a long, pitch-dark lane toward the lights of a squat brick house set on the top of a slight rise. As we approached it, a door opened and light streamed out onto the porch. The tall man framed in the doorway was the last person in the world I expected to see. Ah, oh, Marcus, you brought him. Oh, master, very delightful service, but how much pain him Always <laughs> complaining, Marcus. Welcome, Mr. Spade. Come in, my dear fellow. Come in. I've been expecting you. Come to fortune. By, 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 blackmailing uh, 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 me. <laughs> and if you don't uh, remit, Exxon could have you booked for forgery, uh, blackmail, definition of character. Oh, my, uh... my, my dear fellow, please. This, this, this is most painful. But if I had but the, the original letter, I could destroy it and go back to the felt. Ah, the felt. What happened to it? Well, that fig, that, 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 that stinker stole it. He burgled my home. Are you uh, taking pot shots at old Exxon? Well, don't be a fool, man. I want Exxon to stay alive. I must find out some part of his life which will have an exchange value that will cancel out what he has on me. Uh, by the way, old thing, uh, you met Miss Kayward. Mm-hmm. 
At the present moment, she's milking me for $150 a day. She's supposed to go to the old man, by whatever means necessary, into talking about his past. And that information she is to bring to me. Well, that ought to be easy. Exxon brags about his past. Now, so far, I've learned that Hillary Exxon stole two heifers at the livestock show in Abilene in 1906. <laughs> I feel for you, Captain. That wouldn't get much on the uh, current market, would it? My dear fellow, I've a, I've a proposition to make to you. Should you ferret out anything that would be of value to me, I'll reward you handsomely. Well, maybe something can be arranged, Captain. Good, excellent. May I have your word on that? Well, there isn't much time, Captain. I'd uh, better trot on back. I'll show you to the door, sir. And let me warn you, Mr. Spade, for your own good, should you ever hear the thrum of Ibis wings, run, flee. I assured him that I would heed his warning, bade him good night, and started back down the lane in the direction of Axon Manor. Business was going on as usual. There were no shots this time, only the scream. When I got to Barbara's room, you and Adam were standing at a bedside trying to quiet her down. Well, Mr. Spade, is this the way you guard the house against intruders? Where have you been? Ask Adam. What does he mean by that thing? I'm sure I don't know, sir. I've not left the house. What happened here? Oh, she woke up screaming. She said someone had come into the room and torn off her bandages. A nightmare, of course. Please, I want to talk to Mr. Spade alone. Oh, please, please go. Adam, you go, too. Please, Hillary, you go, too. Good. Some questions I want to ask you, sweetheart, alone. Oh, but look here, Spade, look here. She just had a terrific shock. She shouldn't be questioned. Well, the, the code of detective transcends that of the medical, Mr. Hillary. Huh? Perhaps he should have a few minutes alone with Miss Kaywood. Oh, very well, very well. Fig I, I suppose he's no best. Uh, remember what the doctor said, Miss Barbara. Not too much exertion. What happened, Barbara? Well, it, it could have been a dream. Somebody was standing over me in the darkness and peering down at me. And then he started to rip off my bandages and I screamed. And when Fig came into the room and he turned on the lights, he was gone. It, it could have been a dream, Sam, and I could have been clawing at the bandages myself in, in my sleep. But you weren't. It wasn't a dream. I've been talking to Captain Sherry. And then I thought... Oh, oh well, how much do you know? That you've been feeding the old man truth, sir, and beginning to talk in his sleep. Oh. How much talking has he done? Well, plenty. How much have you told Sherry? Well, just as little as possible. Why? Because, Sam, if, if we can keep that old man alive and out of jail long enough to sell what we know to Sherry for what it's really worth, we'd be fools not to do it. What makes you so sure you'll stay alive long enough to collect, sweetheart? Well, because you're going to help me, aren't you, Sam? So I helped her, but not for the reason she thought. I made a lot of noise leaving her room and going to mine. Going back, I didn't wear any shoes. I slipped into a clothes press in her room so quietly that even she didn't hear me. I left the door slightly ajar and waited. Time passed, and I was stiff from standing still. It happened at about 3 a.m. The feverish glare of his eyes told me that the threat of the gun in my hands meant nothing to him. I jumped to his side, twisted the knife away from him, picked him up in my arms and carried him, kicking, clawing and swearing, back to his bed. He lay there, breathing hard. Then he smiled. You're a smart one, Sonny. You had me figured out the first time you came in here, didn't you? Not quite, Mr. Rexon. The gun under your window was the clincher. That gun 
Sure. I had it under my pillow all the time. I got tired of shooting into door frames. Look, you're dying, Mr. Rexon. There's no use trying to make up stories now. <laughs> you're right, Sonny. I knew that nurse would sit up in bed after I fired tonight. And then I let her have it right through the screen. Why? You know why well enough. She was doping me up and sneaking in here at night, listening to what I was babbling about. Maybe you weren't saying anything important, Mr. Exxon. I might have, Sonny. I might have. Fourteen years ago, I killed my wife. I wanted to carry the secret to my grave. <laughs> you nearly made it at that. Spade! What's happened? Is he dead? He's dead. Did he say anything, sir? Did he confess anything? You must tell me if he said anything. I didn't hear him say a word. Oh, well. Hmm. Yeah, Mr. Spade. Charged with a certain texture, a significant quality. There's a certain smell, yes. Ah, an omen. You can inhale it, sir. Journey thou to Nairobi on the felt. Tarry seven days, and you will collect the fabulous golden skull of Wizami, king of the pajamas. Aha! Marcus! Yes, Master. Unhook the hooker! Pack the marmalade! We are off to the felt! Just then, a flock of birds broke across the horizon, screaming. There must have been thousands of them, but not Ibis, Mr. Exxon. Vultures. I suppose if you're going to pay any attention to omens, it's a good thing to know your birds. Period. End of report. Right now, I have something to say to every man who doesn't use a hair tonic, to every man who says, I don't believe in it or I don't need it. That all depends on what you mean when you say hair tonic. If you mean the old-fashioned greasy kind that leaves your hair smelling like a perfume factory, you're absolutely right. But remember, Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic is nothing like that. Wild Root Cream Oil is an entirely new kind of hair grooming preparation. There's not a drop of alcohol in Wild Root Cream Oil, and it contains soothing lanolin that's like the oil of your skin. Most important, Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair the right way, neatly and naturally, never leaves your hair sticky or greasy. Get the big economy-sized bottle and the handy new tube that's economical, easy to pack when you travel, and grand for the bathroom cabinet. Don't delay, get it today. Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Well, Effie, we, uh... Sam, the Nemo robot worked after all. I told you it would. Yeah, it just takes a little time, sweetheart. Oh, read the card, Sam. (laughs) See? You'd know you were supposed to see Mr. Jones at 2 o'clock. Isn't it wonderful? Well, this card doesn't even mention Jones. Huh? What does it say, Sam? Well, it says, uh, Journey thou to Friskin's Drugstore, wager $5 on Ira W. in the third at Belmont Park. Oh, Sam, it's psychic. Tarry but a moment. Yes? Thou wilt lose five bucks. Oh. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> The 
Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. This is Dick Joy reminding you that next Sunday, author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too, for quick good grooming and to relieve dryness between permanents. Mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. to KMA 907. Unit 99, Sergeant Meredith, 909, in service, on the air. This is Sergeant Dan Meredith of Unit 99 at headquarters, Police Department, City of Sacramento, California. My detail is to ride in Unit 99, our tape recorder equipped radio car, and to respond whenever the dispatcher transmits a signal to one of our other units on duty somewhere in the city. At the scene, we make the recordings which we provide for this program. Now, to tell you more about Unit 99, here is our chief, James V. Hicks, Sacramento Police. When Unit 99 takes off on the dispatcher's radio signal, everything which happens is real. What you hear, happened. This is the standing order to Sergeant Meredith, the officer in charge of Unit 99. Get it on the spot while it's going on. And as you listen, this is what Meredith does. Now, to Unit 99 and Sergeant Dan Meredith on duty. burglary in progress at the market on 56 and 8th Street. We're opposite uh, 56th Street on Bolson, not too far away. We better cover in. Other units are covering in also. Those are traffic officers. 257, 270 also covering in on that. Uh, unit 99 will be in cover too. Here's a group of fellows at the market. We're first to arrive. What seems to be the trouble? Somebody tried to break in. Somebody tried to break in? Yeah. Is anybody inside? No. No, 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 I called him. When I saw it, I looked out the bedroom window and I saw a fellow's last leg going through. That's what I thought I saw. That's why I called in. Uh-huh. You didn't see anybody come out yourself? I never, no, I've been watching it ever since. No one's come out. I saw him. I saw him. I was oh, he calling. left. Yeah, he, he was the car he that left there. That's crazy. He probably saw over there, see? Did you find the uh, type of car, see the license oh, number? Oh, the lobby. Uh, the, uh, license old model car. Oh, my daughter. She's got the license around the window. From upstairs. Oh, she has the license number. She's already called it in the police station. Detectives, uh, 
Rellis and Rogers are here. Let's get out. Yeah, we'll go inside. Pretty well lighted up inside. It looks like a big rock over there. Whether it looks like something in the hour wheel there. The whole glass is knocked from the outside inwardly. It's all on the uh, floor of the store. In fact, it's scattered way back to about 20, 25 feet. Fragments of glass. Texas are going in with their shotguns. We're the back of the store now. Oh, it looks like a uh, coil from an automobile. Don't touch it. We might be able to get prints off of it. Did you find anything? That looks like the uh, thing that they threw the through the door, Marty. You check on what was missing. Was there money in it before? Did you have money in the registers before? No, this we took the money upstairs already. Well, they've been upstairs. No, no, we took the money. We was upstairs. Yeah. Oh, you were upstairs yeah. when they came in? Yeah, we heard the noise. I looked uh, I was standing up there and looked down there, didn't see nothing. When uh, my friend go home, he saw the guy climb up and he yelled at me. Hmm? You don't leave any money, you leave the registers open. Yeah, no money, you no take money. the money with you. All right. Do you think you could identify this man if you saw him again? Is there anybody around here? Any of your I, just I just come in that way. Uh -huh. I just saw somebody. Well, where were you when you saw this man? When you when saw I the man? opened the door. My thing go out, and he just hit the light, make the noise. I look back, I saw the guy just go right upstairs, call everybody down. Mm -hmm. But then my friend outside, in time he called me. Yeah. He said he saw a man go out this way. Saw the man leave. Yeah. Those glass uh, edges there, Rogers, is there any doesn't blood mean, or anything? No, it doesn't indicate any blood at all. Small opening. Well, we're going to check. We'll talk to the girl that saw the. Uh, they got the license number. Saw the car too. We'll see if we can get. Let's see who's the, who saw the car. Me. What kind of a car was it? Did you notice? Mm, tan coupe. I don't know what kind of Ford or any kind of that, but I know it was. It was a tannish color and it was, you know, one of those short kind of coupes. I guess. Coupe. Couldn't have been a convertible or anything. Coupe. No, no, it wasn't a convertible. Tannish coupe. Would you know the car? Uh, the similar. Uh, similar type car if you saw it again. Oh, yeah. You'd know it, huh? What was that license number? You got the license number, didn't you? Hey, let's see. I know I told somebody. AKR 521. You can identify this person if you see him again. Well, I mean, I didn't see, you know, the whole person, but I know he's tall, and he had, um, he had a white coat on, and he looked like he had real dark hair. It might have been black. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, I didn't see the full face of him, though. How was he dressed? He had a, a white, you know, like you see druggists wear when they work in a thing, except it hung down to here. And it uh, looked like he had blue pants on. They were a little ragged at the bottom. <laughs> I mean, they looked like it. In which direction did he go? Well, I saw him head that way. Okay, thanks. Let's go outside, Roger. Can I talk to you outside? Thanks. Thanks very much. We've got the other, uh, the other detective checking over the address of the uh, car where it's registered. I don't know what the what they've accomplished over there yet. We'll have to check with them. Uh, Rose and Rogers, uh, you going to go over that address? Yeah, we're going to check over there. Too. All right, we'll follow you over. That's the location of where this person is supposed to reside. 
detectives are spotting on the house. Is that the car over there, Jim? No. Is that the house? That's the house, not the car. You haven't seen the car at all? Turn that off. Okay, we'll spot with you for a while. We're parked in one side of the street in the alley. I see Detective Sergeant Lyons going through the dark alley on the other side, checking over the backyard of that residence. Pretty eerie out here tonight. It's been raining, overcast, very quiet. Here comes Sergeant Lyons. Yeah, Jim? I think we're going to go over and knock on the doors. Yeah. Keep your eyes here. Okay, Jim. I can see the house from here. The officers have just gone in. I noticed through the window, too, a lady and a man answering the door. The officers are now going in. The house is all lit up. Previously, it was dark. Lights have gone on in the back of the house. We'll stand by and see what the result is. The transmission just came in that that car that we're looking for is reported stolen. The detectives have been in the house for about 15 minutes. They're coming out now. We'll get the full story. I guess the car was stolen from here. When? Sometime after 5 o'clock last night. Well, I guess this isn't the place, then. No. Well, these people apparently are responsible persons. They have any children? One, he's 25 years old, a college student. He's been home all night. Well, it makes it a little tougher. Right. A police department, like any governmental or commercial organization, has a certain number of man-hours with which to function. This case was an example of how those man-hours can be wasted. I'm referring to the time the officer spent spotting the address to which the getaway car was registered. The car had been stolen 24 hours earlier, but had not been reported. A prompt report of any stolen property enables your police department to work more efficiently. In this case, it might have prevented the break-in and most certainly would have saved the hours which were wasted on the spot. Unit 6. That man is supposed to be returning to the house on Santa Inez Way. He has a 38 caliber revolver and says he is going to cause trouble. Stand by, but remain 909. That was the second call for Unit 6 on that case. Evidently, this man has been having trouble with his family. He's bad frame of mind, considered dangerous with that 38. we better go over and help out if we can. Sacramento now. We'll cruise the area, see what we can find. Go ahead, 257. 
That car just turned uh, east on San Inez on N Street. Have uh, the car there, stand by, and maybe you better get another car out here. I'll check it and see if I can give you any further information. That's Detective Rogers. He's working alone tonight. We better get back here and help him out. Go ahead, 257. He's going towards, uh, when he's on San Inez, between Folsom and Ann Street. If the car will come out of the driveway there, they probably can uh, approach him from the north end, and I'll be on the south side, on uh, San Inez Way. Unit 6, the man has left his car and is walking on Santa Inez Way towards the house. KMA 907. Going south on San Yanez. There's the house over there. Unit 6 is waving us in this direction. Let's go down here. We'll turn here at N Street. There's a fellow over there behind the tree. White shirt, heavy bill. It looks like him. Keep on going down to the next corner. We'll make a U turn and come back. Be prepared. Still there. Unit 99 to KMA 907. Go ahead, 99. Now, will you inform Unit 6 and uh, 257 that the suspect is at the corner of San Ynez and N Street? Okay, 99. Unit 6 and 257. Your suspect is at Santa Ynez and N Nelly. KMA 907. Let's go down. Okay, let's get out. Quick. Now, he was just here. Let's go. Let's go on down toward the corner. He's either down around the corner or through the hedge. Hey, the officers down there have someone. Looks like him. Detective Rogers has him with another officer. Uh, now, what have I done? What did you leave your car down in the corner of 30, uh, I mean, 10 I minutes? wanted to walk down here and see was I welcome in with, with my home, which my wife's mother asked me to come in with my family last week. I'm not here to fight with anybody. He's clean. Yeah, he's clean. Now. I'm clean. I haven't got anything on me. Well, who are you hiding behind the tree for, then? I wasn't hiding behind anybody. You certainly were. When we tur turned the corner, I walked there, you had to turn the corner and go down to my wife and see what it was all about. I where does your wife live from here? Right down the street, then. Well, why are you down this direction here? Obviously. Because I happen to know her pretty well. We'll go down and check the automobile. We're going down to check the car out to see if the the gun that was reported is in it. We're at the car. Rogers is going through it. See anything yet, uh, boys? No, I wonder if he had discarded it somewhere. Was he running when you stopped him? Uh, he's walking at a very fast pace. Very nervous, excited. Officer Lopez is talking with the man now. Now, what kind of a revolver is this that you own? You I, own a revolver. I, I haven't got a revolver I don't at all. say that you have it with you. I'm asking you, you own a revolver. Is that right? No. My revolver that I had last week 
Uh, I should say, oh, wait a minute, I'm far ahead of my story. Was stolen from me. Oh, it was stolen. When was the, it stolen? The North Sacramento police will vouch for that. When was it stolen? In uh, June of last year. That's untrue, and you know it's untrue. Your wife had it just last week. A revolver I had? Yes, a revolver that you own, a 38 caliber. Now, where well, is it? Let's call up the North Sacramento chief of police, and he'll tell you that it was stolen from me. Where is your gun now? I haven't got a gun. Well, you had one over at your house. I had a 38 was stolen from me. Now, How long ago? Last June. June of last year. Did you ever report it? Yes, sir. To the North Sacramento police. Where first, is it? Where's the now, how come? Is it, how is it that your wife said you had a gun just last week? I don't know what my wife has hmm? to say. She's pretty bitter to me. I don't know what it's all about. Now, what she's got to say, what I can prove to you, by Percy Gassaway of the North Sacramento Chief of Police. Now, I will assume that a revolver was stolen last June. What happened to the revolver that you had tonight? I didn't have a revolver tonight. Didn't you threaten her? No, you I called her. You called call her up over the uh, telephone just about a half hour ago, less than a half hour ago, about 15 minutes ago. Where did you call her from? I didn't call her from anywhere. I told her that I would like to come out and have a place to stay tonight because I'd like to have some place to sleep. Didn't uh, she give you a $10 bill to, to rent a motel room and you tore it in half tonight? That's right. Yeah. No, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't threatened anybody. I haven't done anything that I could... Uh, really say it was wrong. Well, what do uh, you suppose would cause your wife to get as upset as she is if you hadn't started something tonight? Well, I'll tell you what happened because I lost my business last summer. Mm -hmm. So a, f a few weeks ago, we sold our home. Well, what caused this trouble tonight, though? What, uh, what would cause your wife to become uh, afraid of you to the point where she felt it necessary to call the police? We're going to get the house. We're going to take her to walk up there. All right. I don't know what was caused that. Why don't you ask her that? But uh, I'm trying to tell you that uh, this afternoon, I got a little check of $9.60. And I took it out and bought food for her and the kids and her mother and so forth. And this is the fifth day I went without a mouthful of food in my mouth. Come you mean out. to tell me that you haven't eaten for five days? I haven't eaten. Well, now listen, I want, one more time I'm going to ask you, what brought about this episode tonight? Where your wife found it necessary to call the police because of fear of her own and the children's life? Because, what do you mean, my children's life? I love my children more than anything in the world. Answer I, the question, will you please? All right, now I'm asking it. I went out this afternoon on a $9.60 check that I had, and bought meat, groceries of all kinds to take home to her, mm -hmm. and cook me a meal. When time comes, she didn't cook me nothing. Well, just one more question, and uh, we'll stop this. Why did you find it necessary, if you were going to visit your wife on a friendly basis, why did you find it necessary to park a block and a half away from the house? Because I saw you fellows down there, and I knew who I had it. You didn't you see anybody see down, down there. there. Yes, there was I no did. police car down there. She, uh, she had me arrested about three years ago for no reason at all. And isn't it a fact that the police were out at your house this afternoon on a call? Mm, oh, you were there. You knew about it. Because that's when she gave you the $10, isn't it? Out of my house this afternoon? Yes. No, that's news to me. I'll be truthful with that. Uh, Let's go back to the house and talk to the woman. The officers are at the door now. The ladies just come down. Well, he states he does not have a gun. 
uh, he doesn't have it. He left with it and threatened us. Did you see it in his hand? Oh, certainly I did. He was what right time? here. What? Uh, yeah, he threatened us because um, uh, my mother asked him to leave because he was, he's been heckling me all day. It's just, uh, in other words, mental cruelty. It's just one thing after the other. Mm -hmm. So he went out and he didn't have any money. And uh, so anyway, why... Uh, uh, he didn't. He didn't have a paycheck, and in the meantime, we had sold our home and came in here and he gambled all the money away. So he didn't have any money. No. About, about no. the gun. What kind of gun was it? Automatic. It's uh, army pistol, and I think it's a thirty-eight. Mm -hmm. Did he brandish that gun before you tonight? Oh, he sure did. Did he, he threaten sure your life? Oh, he certainly did. Is it an automatic or yes. is it a revolver? No, it's an automatic. Then over the phone, he called a little while ago, and he says, well, please, no, please. He says, I'm coming out. And he says, I said, well, you threatened my mother. You can't stay here anymore. I said, uh, I can't trust you. I said, you lied to me and tricked me this afternoon, and you came up and he's going to, he says, I'll get that old lady first. And I grabbed him by his clothes, and I tore a button off, and I screamed. I thought, well, I'll attract some attention to warn them. And by God, he turned right around and went out. I wrapped the gun in a piece of paper. And I says, well, get rid of this gun. I don't want it anyway. Did he wrap it in a piece of paper? I did. And give it to him? Yes, because I didn't want the neighbors to see it. Was that gun loaded? Yes. What do you want done with your husband? Well, gee, I don't think I'll call my attorney. Well, I don't know. I can't go on like this. What else should I do? Well, you can charge him for disturbing the peace, for one thing. Yeah. If you so desire. Yeah. But you'll have to appear against him tomorrow in court. Mm-hmm. Is that your desire? You know what to do, because if I do, then he's going to really give me trouble, too. What do you think, Mother? Mother, will feel it? You'll be there at 9 o'clock. Okay. You'll be there at 9 o'clock. Good night. We're back at the car with uh, Officer Lopez. Manuel, we talked with the lady, and she said that was an automatic. And he had it to see me. He did have it to see me, yeah. He brandished it before her. Uh, what make of automatic is this that you wanted that you had in your possession tonight? Now let's have a straight answer on this. What one. do you mean that automatic I had? Yeah. It was uh, 32 Colt. 32 Colt. Where is it now? I, I give it to a friend of mine tonight. Who? At the club, North Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I owed him money and I gave it to him. That was why. Didn't you threaten your wife with that gun tonight? No, I evening? didn't threaten nobody with any gun because I gave it to him wrapped in an original newspaper that she gave it to me. Did you Did you or did you not threaten the life of your mother-in-law? No, so I did not. Yeah, Manuel, she's going to prefer charges against him. She's coming down in the morning signing the formal complaint. She is now signing the informal complaint against him mm -hmm. and was advised. So uh, next step is to take him in. Yes, we were going to take him in and book him in. 32 Come on, get in the car, let's go. You may not have realized it at the time, but that was a close call for Unit 99. A violent man, supposedly armed, hiding behind a tree. And they passed within 15 feet of him in their plainly marked car. Fortunately, he had disposed of his weapon. As happens frequently, the wife refused to sign a formal complaint against him, and he was released the next morning. This is Unit 99 in Sacramento, California. These on-the-scene tape recordings were provided by the Sacramento Police Department and were made on duty by Sergeant Dan Meredith in Unit 99. Your host is Chief James V. Hicks of the Sacramento Police Department. KMA 907, Sacramento Police. 
Unit 99, are you in the clear? Unit 99 to KMA 907. Unit 99, Sergeant Meredith, 909, in service, on the air. Unit 99 has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. That's Case Closed for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more from Unit 99, Sam Spade, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. You can also listen to our Shoutcast stream there and donate if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. It's how these shows keep coming to you every week. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed.